You're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to an episode of A Lady and Some Dudes. I know some people are wondering, why is there a man leading the show of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast today? Uh, unfortunately, our, our lead special host, uh, Dion. Uh, can't be with us in in the body, but she's with us in the spirit. Uh, so uh, we're we're starting off. I am the lead host today, uh, Evan, and we're just so happy to have uh, you joining us today. And so, uh, as we start our podcast, we're going to start with what we always do: our grateful moment. I will have Kelvin to kick us off. Yeah, what's going on, everybody? Um, I'm grateful this week. That um that Evan is the host and Dion is not talking about New York stuff all day. No, I'm just joking. I love Dion. Um, now I'm grateful this week uh, because I t- got a chance to talk to my one of my good friends and he called me out of nowhere and he was just calling and asked me how I'm doing during the situation that's going on. You know, everybody been hit some type of way with the COVID um, and you know just the pulse of the country. So I was good. I was happy that he called me, but more importantly that he's good. It's just good to have good friends, man. So I'm just grateful that I have good friends to talk to. Good, good. We're always grateful to have good friends. Um, now let's have um, uh, Phil. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm just grateful for speaking to our guest today. Um, one of our guests, Nate. We went to school for a long time, and he just shared a story of, you know, how we we've been friends for a long time. Just sharing one of his highlights of his career. And he was just sharing that, that, you know, it brought him joy. I'm just grateful for that moment that, you know, we was able to share um, that moment of, you know, reminding ourselves that we continue to push forward in this life and things will happen for us, but we have to push forward. And that's the thing. And sometimes God brings back to memory things he have done for us in the past to spring us forward. So I'm grateful for that. Bill almost took us to church today. Uh, Alan, what's your grateful moment? What's up, y'all? I'm actually grateful that I'm on the podcast for the first time today, y'all. So every everything that happens behind the scenes, you know, that's me. But I'm actually going to be on the pod, so I'm really looking forward to today. Uh, my grateful moment is that Benjamin Simmons made a three-pointer from the corner. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. And I'll preach the choir. <laughs> But I'm grateful that Benjamin Simmons got the psychological help he needed to put the ball in the hole. Dion. Hey, everybody. You know it's been a sad week when Evan's grateful moment is Ben Simmons hitting a corner three. But as always, I have a lot to be grateful for. My grateful moment for this week is that as you guys have listened over the past few weeks, um, I have been doing a feeding project Um, to feed students who are out of school due to COVID. And this past week, I eclipsed over 870 families fed. This is unbelievable that I am approaching 900 families because my initial goal was only 50 families. So I am so grateful for the opportunity to do this. I am grateful for the longevity of being able to do this. I started this on March 13th. And here we are approximately five months later, still going strong. So I'm very thankful and very grateful for that. 
Uh, today, uh, we have uh, a new uh, a, a host who's stepping in and a guest host. Uh, our host stepping in is Alan. He's typically our producer. Alan, say what's up to the people. What's going on, y'all? I hope y'all ready. <laughs> and then we have someone who's worked for ESPN, someone who lives and breathes sports. Um, and we have Terrell McCoy Jr. Terrell, say what's up to the people. What's up, y'all? So we're not gonna, we're not gonna mince words today. We're gonna get down to the nitty gritty. We're gonna get into the business, and we're gonna start off with the most uninteresting topic we could possibly deal with, and that would be the New York Knicks. Um, the New York Knicks have hired once again another coach, uh, and they've hired Tom Thibodeau. Those who many affectionately call Tibbs. And I just want to know, and I'm going to hit you up, Phil. I know you are a diehard New Yorker. I just want to know, is Tom Thibodeau the answer for the New York Knicks? Listen, it cannot get any worse, all right? <laughs> it cannot get any worse. All we have to do is look up. Now, here's my thing. Why did we didn't go? Let's take a step back. Thibodeau is fine, all right? I'm good with Thibodeau. But I would prefer Mark Jackson. Why? Mark Jackson worked with young people. The Knicks is a young team. You need someone to develop the culture, cultivate the culture, i.e. the Golden State Warriors. Two, Kenny Atkins. Take him. The Nets just kicked him out. Take him. Bring him in. Listen, he, he's, his strong points are what? He took a team that was 20 and 62 in two years, bring him to the playoff. Two, he works great with point guards. D. Russell, trash in L.A., great in the Nets, and back to trash in Minnesota. But he knows how to get in their mind. Also, Dinwiddie, Spencer, Harris, Levar, he could work with the young people. We needed that. And on my list, Thibodeau. My fear is Thibodeau is going to work these guys so hard. These players don't know how to work. There's only a once-a-generation guy like LeBron and, and Kobe, who want to work and get better. Thibodeau has a tendency to overwork you so much so, yeah, he'll get you 60 wins like with the Bulls. And by the time playoffs starts, they're broken down. So, yeah, it was a good hire, but it was not the best hire. Alan, what, what, what say you? Honestly, I don't think it really matters if Thibs is the answer, because I don't think he was ever the question to begin with. I think the answer more than likely is who are you going to surround around the Knicks? You got to think about it. This past summer, a lot of these contracts that they have are one-year deals. Matter of fact, the whole roster is just structured terribly. So you really have to just start over and it starts from up top for your general management. You got to be able to build the team. So it really don't matter who you put as a coach, if you don't structure the team correctly, I mean, what are we really talking about? Mark Jackson could have been the coach. Kenny Atkinson could have been the coach. Hey, you can, hey, look, there's so many other coaches that I can really think. It doesn't even matter if Fizdale was a coach. If you don't structure the team correctly or even have a plan, it doesn't really matter who the coach is because you're just going to keep running into the same problem every time. So I don't really think it matters if he's the answer or not. The New York Knicks, I think, are the equivalent of the Washington football team in basketball. Terrell. Wow. 
they might be worse. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think there is no answer for the New York Knicks. Okay, they they will forever <laughs> be trash. Uh, and I, there's there's just no answer for them. And, and and to to Philip's point, uh, you know, I I hope those guys are ready to you know for the, that to average forty six minutes a night. You know, um, I, I think that, once again, talking about safe, I think he was a safe hire. Um, I thought Kenny Atkins was – I thought that was the go-to. I would have hired him in a heartbeat. But apparently they, they wanted to go after Tibbs. But, and, and my thing with Tibbs is when it comes to the NBA and his Preaching. style, his, his coaching style, that is no longer – like, you are not going to – your you know your defensive style like those bulls you're not you're not holding teams it ain't gonna be no 85 to 79 games in today's nba it's not it's not happening so uh you know for him isn't it's another opportunity for a white man a white head coach in the nba uh you know i want i want mark jackson to, to get a shot somewhere I, I think he's you know he's heavy on defense too but he can adapt uh, but I'll go back to my main point. There is no answer for the New York Knicks. You were wrong. <laughs> and, so, and so I think you brought up a very good point. And I, I think the NBA and how we treat white coaches is what we do with black people in America. Black people build you up, and a white man comes and takes the credit. Uh, no, no disrespect to Steve Kerr, but Mark Jackson deserved more time. But as it relates to the New York Knicks, the New York Knickerbockers, the filthiest organization in the NBA. As it relates to these dirty Knicks, I, I just don't think that Tom Thibodeau is the answer. He is a retread. You know, I, I think the Knicks need to just look to get a fresh start. Uh, Kenny Atkinson would be a good hire. Um, just, just get a fresh start. But at the end of the day, you need talent. Mitchell Robinson is the equivalent of Nerlens Noel, which means he's going to be trash. I don't care how many shots he blocks. I don't care uh, how, how impressive he is for a young prospect. You need talent. And you need talent evaluators. No more friend to kill her. Whatever you, however you say that man's name. He, he can't be your, your leader. It, it's just not. The Knicks, to me, this is what it says. And this is what honestly says to me about hiring Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau doesn't like young players. Which says to me that he's going to push for y'all to hire Derrick Rose. So he can tear his ACL again. He, he's gonna look to bring in um, uh, players that are retrades. He's gonna try to get um, Jamal Crawford, Jamal Crawford, AR <laughs> Smith, and, and and he's gonna try to bring. He might try to bring Nate Robinson out of retirement. This guy is. This is gonna be the worst. I mean, can you imagine if Tom Thibodeau had Joel Embiid? Joel Embiid would die. No exaggeration. He would die. His body would fall apart. Because he kills his players. He runs them into the ground. He's like Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly would make these dudes run, run, run. That's like, I can't do this alone. no more. It's like 12 years of enslaving these dudes. And so, yeah, I mean, the Knicks are the Knicks are the Knicks. All I got to hey, say is, is Phil. We went too hard on him, man. <laughs> and, and I'm, o I'm over here dying laughing because – you mentioned you brought up Mitchell Robinson, and I don't know if you all have seen what he's been working on, like his workouts. 
Like he's out there on the perimeter thinking like he's KD or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, dog, that, you are not going to do that in a game. Like, what are these guys doing? But that's the Knicks for you. Yeah. Which Hell. is for my enjoyment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. worries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I'll say this. The Knicks are trending in the right direction. But the sad part is that's not saying much for the Knicks. <laughs> I mean, anything is trending in the right direction for them, to be honest. But one thing I think you're going to get from Tibbs, it probably – Tibbs is blue-collar. So I guess the, the thought process behind it was matching the environment of the city. So Tibbs, you know, anywhere that he goes, he's going to get the best out of his players. So in that, in that aspect, I think that they've done a good job probably was a good hire but overall you know the Knicks need way more one of their littlest problems is the coaching they got to get their culture together from the top down so I I think they're trending in the right direction because I think Tibbs is a good coach um but the Knicks need a lot more we're going to be fine I'm telling you this this is what y'all missing we have a new GM while what's the name Wild West (laughs) <laughs> wow, wow, yeah. <laughs> I know the team. We have a new culture in place. Thibodeau will bring that consistency. He'll bring the best out of the players. He has spent the time talking to Pop and other coaches. And if you're known, he was there with Van Gundy. And he actually worked with Kobe before he entered the NBA. So Tibbs have, you know, what it takes. And he will bring the best out of the, the Knicks. I think we're heading to the different direction. The biggest problem is Dolan. I know Dolan is the biggest issue. So we're hoping, like I said, turn for the better with the uh, new uh, frontier, front office uh, managers, uh, new coach, new culture. So um, we're going to do something better. And don't worry, we're, gonna, we're, we're coming back. It takes time, but we'll, we'll, we'll be there. We'll be there. Before Simmons hit um, goal percentage, three, 30% percentage of three-pointers, we'll, we'll be a better team. He try to get he gonna try to grab Patrick Ewing out of retirement. <laughs> Bill tried to make a when pigs fly uh, analogy. Do you not know that Benjamin Simmons is shooting thirty three percent from the three this season? Put some respect on his name. He only took six <laughs> shots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that we're moving on from the Knicks, let, 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 let's go to the team that everyone wants to love but everyone finds a reason to hate the Philadelphia 76ers, Ben Simmons. Pause. Might need a moment of silence for this. Ben Simmons hit a three in the exhibition game on Friday. Phil was too scared to take a bet from Kelvin offline uh, because he knows the end is imminent because uh, Ben Simmons is ready to hit the three ball. Uh, Phil refused to take a bet that Benson was to make three threes in Orlando. He was quaking in his boots. Uh, but the question is, you know, the Sixers have been consistently inconsistent this season. They have been uh, sometimes they're like an NBA champion. Other times they're like a, a dumpster dive, a, a, a dumpster fire. Sometimes they downright look like the New York Knicks. Slow down, slow down. <laughs> How does Ben Simmons hitting a three in the exhibition game on Friday affect the Sixers in the bubble? Kelvin? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. Not the fact that he just made a three-pointer, Evan, but the fact that he took it and it looked natural. And he took more than one, I believe, that game. Um, uh, and I think he took two in the first half, maybe two in one corner. I'm not even sure. But um, what it does is, first of all, his confidence is, is, is a lot different. But even bigger than that, the flow of the offense fits for him better now when he doesn't, he's not so ball-dominant and he doesn't have the ball in his hands the whole possession. So now he's able to get shots and spacing where he can catch and shoot uh, instead of having to be off the dribble, which is a lot harder for somebody that doesn't have confidence off the top with their, uh, with their jump shot. The, the dribble, the shooter off the dribble. So now it fits for the Sixers because now the spacing gets better. He's going to be able to be more effective because he can play off of everyone now. He can float him on the perimeter. They can float him uh, uh, with Embiid. Him, them two can play the two-man game. So now it opens up everything for the Sixer. Depending on how comfortable he gets, is dependent. Is the, it, it determines how far the Sixers will go down in the bubble. Okay. Terrell, what do you say? I've seen it before. I'm not fooled. I, I actually need to know what that bet is, but I, you know, we'll talk. <laughs> I think, I think Bill Sam, I mean, I mean, Ben, I said Bill, Ben, you know, hey, it's a scrimmage. Why not shoot? When the game's on the line and when it comes playoff times, he is not taking that shot. If it's a close game, he's going to go back to his old habits of, you know, you know, it's, someone's going to be able to guard him like Kobe guarded Rajon Rondo in the finals. You know, that's, that's, that's the simple fact of it. There's, there's like, he is not a three-point shooter, and I don't think he's going to be afforded that space come, you know, come Eastern Conference finals time should they make it that far. So I'm not buying into it. It's a, it's a scrimmage. He has all the freedom in the world to take the threes that he wants. I read and I saw that he worked with a, a psychologist or something, and you know he's he's shooting with gloves and all that. I'm not buying it. You know, hooray for him! You hit a shot, it's your job. I mean, you literally practice it every every day, and so you know, congrats. But I'm not. I I don't I don't see him taking that in an important game, taking and making. Ain't enough psychology in the world. He should have been, he should have been doing that at LSU or at Montverde. I don't know what those coaches were thinking, like that, but nah. Um, it was an exhibition, right? Yeah. That's the only time we're gonna see him shoot a three in the exhibition. Now, I agree with Kelvin that ideally that the spacing will be a lot better, but when games start back on Thursday, people are going to fall back into their old habits. They're naturally going to fall back into what they're comfortable with doing. He's a very uh, ball-dominant type of player. Um, he likes to run high pick and rolls. Or, I mean, I've said this plenty of times. Like, all he really needs is just a 15-, 15-18-foot jumper. Something respectable to where at least teams can respect your jump shot. If he at least just has that, I think it would be more of an impact compared to him just hitting threes. Because if he's just going to shoot a three, I mean, he might shoot one three in four games. You know what I'm saying? But if you're at least shooting just a regular jump shot, 
from the elbows or around the top of the key, you're respectable. You know what I'm saying? But I just don't see him just continually just shooting threes and just helping the team with spacing. They're just going to fall back into their old habits, and that's just what's naturally going to happen. This is a young team. Philip Janice. (laughs) (laughs) Was you muting your laugh? Oh, man. So you're telling me the number one draft pick in 2006 played 172 games before he actually took NBA three, which was in 2019. We seen this script all the time. Every preseason, every expedition game, he'll take a three and we all, y'all get excited. Oh, we, this is the year. This is the year. Trust the process. Trust the process. What will it lead to? Why Leonard hitting a three on the corner and send out Joel crying. And then next summer, this summer, oh, yes, he's going to hit a three. And he hit one during the, against the Knicks. Yeah, for real, kudos. He hit a three against the Knicks. Oh, wow. She whiz. And then during the, this exhibition game, you saw Wiley raving about, he hit a three. When? Early in the game or when the gal was up by, like, 30? Please, please, please. I guess the shrink is working during the regular – during the play – um during the off-season or expedition, but when, when the time is when your palms get sweaty, when the ball goes to you at that left corner, and, then, and the microphone, because they don't have crowd noise, is cheering. You know what Ben's going to do? He's going to try to dunk it from the three-point line <laughs> and, draw, and, draw, <laughs> and draw offensive foul. He's going to freeze. He's going to pass it up. He's allergic to the three-point line. He's allergic, okay? And you talk about the Knicks? Please. 76ers, don't worry. More tears coming this year. Go ahead. Get your hopes up. More tears. Dry eyes. But, but, but who said he – I don't understand where this argument came. Like, did we say he had to be a three-point shooter? We're just talking about the threat of him making a shot. And we got to understand that now the offense now is, is, is geared different. The sets are different. The sets a lot of times is it sets from him running from the four man position and not the point guard position. So it allows him to post up. It allows him to have the the option to shoot threes, which opens the offense up. We're not talking about him to turn in a st- the uh, st- the curry. Well, that's but, not what we're saying. But what's we're his talking habit? About the options. But what's his <laughs> habit? Yeah, the option is going to be there. And one, he but, wants to be a point guard. He's not. He don't want to be the four. He don't want to be the four. Phil, he likes the ball hand. Did, did, did Ben Simmons say that, or are you saying that? That's him. Look at his that's play. Look that's how Phil Simmons. Play. Phil Simmons is saying <laughs> but that. Look how he plays. And what's going to happen? You, you've seen video. Nobody respect his three. They lay off. They clog the lane. And he's still not going to take it. You could do whatever they want to do. Remember, we had a conversation one, I guess. I'm not going to name. What he, said, what he said the biggest issue is, one, I guess, that the coaching, right, and the coaching style, right? So you tell me all of a sudden, once again, did we see this before? We've seen this, right? It's not like something new. We've seen them hit a three when they're up by 40. we see them hit a three during scrimmages. But when the time comes when he really needs to do it, have he done it? No, he's going to revert back to what he does best, try to run down the lane and get mad and, and, and one pick and roll. Chris Bissau said something interesting. So why do you take the bet then? I mean, let the viewers know. If you feel that strongly about it, why didn't you take the, the bet. bet, Phil? Listen, like, everybody, you know better. Okay, let me explain myself. Every baller knows this. 
you're always going to hit at least one or two, right? Enough chances. There's always that one guy who didn't hit any shots all game. And when the game Yo, about to he end, just said he, he throws the six. balls up. He took three threes. He hit the ball and he wins the game. Hill? Everybody hit that one shot. He could do it three, four times and boom, I lose. What? And I know you have a secret line right to him. Man, look, it's oh, only awesome. take that only, bet. Yeah, exactly. Take the bet. It's only three it. threes in a four game stretch. He may only take one per game. I he listen if the if Phil they, no, he's just talking. Phil no better. Based Phil upon, no not to take that bet. You know what? Probably next 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 taping of the show, we're gonna review the schedule and we're gonna look and see because if they go up by he the last time he hit, they were up by twenty. Of course he's gonna take it. I don't know if these guys are gonna fold the table like the Nets. The Nets is not in this, and the Wizards not in this. He may take three threes in each game. I don't know, but I'm saying this: don't get fooled, okay? Don't get scary fooled. Smurf. You sound like scary Smurf right no, now. Scary, I, ain't, I ain't scary Smurf. I'm smart Smurf because you know what? He's that dude. When everybody has that one guy on the team who have not hit a shot all game, and the game he hits the game winner. So is he John Starks? So is he John Starks? First of all, put some respect on Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is not sitting in the, he's not just like a guy who's on the court. He is the most important player on that team. He drives their offense. He is their best defender. Well, Matisse Seibel might be a better defender, but I think as it relates to Ben Simmons, he can guard one through five on any given possession. He is uh, he won't be defensive player of the year, but he, sh he should be a candidate uh, for defensive player of the year. Um, and my thing is, you gonna keep ben Simmons, you want me to play the violin with Ben Simmons? The important portion with Ben Simmons is that he starts to take the shot. Um, I think that the Sixers' goal this year is to play knock him out, drag him out defense. Get the ball to Ben. Get the ball to Joel Embiid. And number two, the reason why I think we don't know what this, how this is going to play out is because he's now been moved from the one to the four. And now he's in position. Anyone will tell you it's easier to be a spot shooter than to pull up and shoot. So I think he's in better position to actually shoot threes in standing in the corner. And he's going to have to do it because um, a, a big change for the team as well come the playoffs is – if they choose to focus on Ben Simmons, Shake Milton is a shooter. He is a straight shooter. And so they're going to have three shooters on the court. I mean, Jason Richardson, he's, he's spotty. But you have three threats of shooters on the court, which I think will affect the team. Do I think it means the finals berth? Who knows? But I do think uh, we will see a different Sixers in the bubble. So, so can I ask you this, Evan? Um, how do you do you think that this is just an exhibition thing or do you think he'll actually bring that into the eight games as well as the playoffs i think he will bring it into the eight games and the playoffs i think what's going to happen is people are going to be like uh why you know they're gonna be like you should you're sh not you're shooting too much but don't shoot that shot i think that's what more so we're going to see uh okay. because i think one brett brown's job is on the line i think brett brown needs to go um so I do think he's going to shoot it uh, more. Do I think he's going to shoot four times a game? No. Maybe once or twice a game. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally, I, I want to get into that, Turtle, too, if I can. I totally think everybody's going to be in a rude, a rude awakening for this. I totally think so. Just because I've seen plenty of scrimmages, plenty of exhibition games from the Sixers, and I've seen how been played in them. Like they were trying to run the flow because they're trying to they're trying to get some continuity with their new offense and how they're gonna how they're gonna make things work. So I definitely think he's gonna at least shoot four shots a game. I definitely think I'll be surprised if he doesn't. But I think it's gonna flow differently differently this time than it has in the past, just because the roles have switched. Well, I I, I hope so. Let me let me put that out there for for him to really take off. I hope. For him, like I, I would love to see Ben Simmons start shooting, because he's he's an incredible player. I love to see that. I just don't. I think this is something like, especially with the bubble, it's really like for him to just all of a sudden implement it. I mean, we had that off season where he's shooting. We've seen those clips, shooting lights out, and oh my gosh, we're gonna get a new Ben Simmons. All of a sudden, the season starts, he's not shooting, and it's like, well, wait a second, you were just pulling up on dudes. So to do that now and you all have a legit chance, I don't see him, you know, doing that. But for the sake of the Sixers, for the sake of his, you know, his career and him, like, taking it next level, I do hope that he starts shooting. Um, moving to transition, uh, Becky Hammond was a head coach. Well, she coached as the head coach role for the Spurs in an exhibition game. Do you think the league is ready for a female head coach? We'll kick it off with that one. Yes, absolutely. Um, if you recall back in 2015, she was actually the head coach for the San Antonio Spurs summer league team to actually win the summer league championship. So here we are five years later. Actually, no, let's back up. Three years later, the department, Detroit Pistons have a head coaching job available. And I believe at the same time, this is when the Raptors let go of uh, Coach Dwayne Casey. They were more than likely going to hire her as the head coach back then. And if you really just know basketball, especially with Becky Hammond being in the NBA, she was a very productive player in the, in the WNBA. She was a four-time All-WNBA um, granted, she didn't win any championships, but she was like a very high IQ player. Like she was one of those players along the times with because she ran into, of course, the Diana Taurasi's, the white mamba. You know what I'm saying? So it's like she's a very intelligent player. Also, earlier this year, there was a situation against Miami. They called a foul. Uh, I believe it was Jimmy Butler. She urged, she pushed Pop to challenge, to enforce that challenge. And ultimately, against Miami, they ended up winning that game by five, which is a pivotal point during that time. So I personally think she's ready. She's been in the game. She's been in around the game for about 20 years, pretty much, more than that. I definitely believe the league is ready. It just, it's just waiting for that right opportunity because it's going to come up again. It's definitely going to come up. Um, Terrell? I, yeah, I absolutely, I mean, the league is ready. Um, as you've seen the hirings, um, obviously she just transitioned. Um, I don't know why I'm forgetting her name right now. Uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies, 
but she just went back to Notre Dame uh, to to take over for the head coaching there. But I mean, like these women assistant coaches, like you know, they know the game. They know the game, and like obviously guys are listening. And so I think Becky is like being groomed. Like I think honestly, I think Pop is probably going to take a step back within the next year or so. And she's going to actually end up with that job. But the league is absolutely ready for someone like her to take over and, uh, like, have a real serious uh, serious look at uh, a woman coach uh, uh, for the league. So I think she's re- – I, th- I definitely think she's ready. Okay. And I hope she gets it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's two different questions right here. So is she ready – yeah, I guess I would say, yeah, she she probably is ready. Is the NBA and the players ready? That's when I would have my antennas up, and I, and I, and I think I'll flag it. You got to understand, like, fellas growing up, this thing is this thing is cultural, too. No women coaches. You know, no AAU program had women coaches. None of the – all the college coaches is coached by men. So now, all of a sudden, you want the guys to transition when they get to the peak of their careers and the performance level. You like I think I think it has to be something that is pushed outside of the NBA first before you can bring it to the NBA. Now I feel like it's more uh, politics and more publicity to even have the topic. But to have a kid growing up, to have uh, to the basketball being dominant by men, of course, and you know all my coaches, all my assistant coaches, all my trainers, everything from middle school to high school to college, this, that, and the third. And then to come up here now, it's like the players, you know, she may know the game, but at the end of the day, it's just like we was talking about with uh, – we talked about, like, uh, the players having more effect than the journalists on, on TV. You know, they're going to be like – they're going to look at her like, yo, at the end of the day, you, you play with the girls. You know what I'm saying? So, like, we can't act like that doesn't exist still. So, as far as the NBA is concerned, are they set up to be able to have it? And, and Is the NBA ready? Yes. Are the players going to be ready? I just don't think so. Well, I like to beg, I beg to differ for one reason, Pop. We know Pop only picks the best. Doc Rivers, well, Brett Brown, yeah, Mike Brown, you know, Danny Ferry, just to name a few, Sam Presti. These are some of the guys out of his tree. Pop would find talent, develop that talent, and push that talent forward. So if it was anybody else, any other team she was, Becky was on, then I would say maybe not. But because it's Pop and his experience and his able to find gems and develop them, and once you leave his tree, most of the time, you are successful. So I think the NBA already, because now even I'm starting to see my, even my daughter's AU team coach, she actually coaches the boys. And so I'm starting to see that difference where women are starting to participate more. And any ball player respects someone who knows the game and could communicate the game well. I think she does that very well. As long as you, they don't see that, as long as you could communicate and help in position to win, they will respect that. So I think she is ready. And I understand, right, the political aspect. If it was any other team, the other 29 teams, I would have said no. But because it's uh, San Antonio and Pop, I think yes. That's the only reason. So I think it's a critical question that's being asked. Um, 
is the NBA ready for a female head coach? Um, I uh, I would lean towards yes, they are. I don't know if Becky Hammond is the first with her skill set, her knowledge, and all that. I think all those portions are critical. I, I sometimes wonder if an older female coach will be easier for them to transition to dealing with because she still looks fairly young. And then the question I, I think of, you're starting about staff, right? Uh, I think it'd be critical if she's going to have that role as a head coach, as she hires uh, an older male to, to deal with the players on certain, on certain issues. My only concern is, will they then start to defer to that other male coach as opposed to listening to her straight on? I think she's capable, qualified. I struggle over whether or not the league is ready for her, um, let alone um, uh, any younger woman. I think maybe it might be easier for an older woman, but still I think there'll be a lot of power dynamics uh, that you have to struggle with. Um, now changing, changing sports, going to the NFL uh, on yesterday, the Jets traded Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks for two first-round draft picks. Who do you think won the deal? Terrell, I'll let you start it off. Who do you think won the deal? Um, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I actually think the Jets won the deal. Um, for me, personally, I think one, one, uh, one first-round draft pick alone, like, that's like gold. And, you know, like, because injuries in the NFL, it, you never know. I, I, I respect Jamal Adams' talent, incredible player. But to not only give up one, but two first-round draft picks, that sets the Jets up for, for, like, building for the future. I think, like, because draft picks are gold. And to give up two as well as um, – who they? What's the player that they gave in return for him? I thought it was just draft picks. Let me let me double check. No, it was, no, it was like McDougal. McDougal. I think it was the safety. McDougal. Yeah. McDougal. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean they. I think they won that. Now is Jamal Adams definitely gonna gonna contribute right away? But you know that takes away from their future. So now you're shelling out money for this the superstar safety, but come. Come time for draft picks, like yeah, you can find a gym in the later rounds, but if you're missing out on some complete stars, per possibly uh, with giving up those two uh, first round draft picks. Okay, Phil. Anything the Jets do just remind me of the butt fumble. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think about the Jets. I think about the butt fumble. I just think about mishaps. But you know what? I'm going to have to agree for one reason, two first-round draft picks. Now, can you trust the Jets to utilize those correctly? Most likely, they'll be late in the round, but anytime you could draft the first round, it's golden. Seattle is in a win-now phase. They have to win now. They're in the division with the 49ers, which they're the biggest rival, and as of now, can they... What could take him over the top? I believe John, I mean, Jamal Adams will help him go over the top slightly because the secondary is, is really needs work. The offense, 
because of uh, Russell Wilson will work like clockwork. And plus they have time together. So, but for interest for the future, those picks are vital. And I have to applaud the Jets for actually doing something right. They got two draft picks and a third round and a decent corner. So I will have to side with the Jets on this one. Alan? I'm actually going to say that Seattle won this deal to me. And yes, Phil, they are in a win now situation, but defensively in the secondary, they've been having a little bit of issues. And so you pretty much have a guy, of course, Jamal Adams, DBU, go Tigers. You know, I got to throw that out there. You have a guy who can pretty much play at different levels of the field. So if you need him to play the slot, he can play the slot. If you need him to play corner, he can play corner. If you need him to play safety, he can play safety. Now, the only question, of course, that you stated is how they utilize those picks. So if they don't utilize those picks correctly, how do they really win? Yes, you get a first-round pick, but who's going to be there late in the draft? So you're talking about a first-round pick for one year, and what's the uh, other first-round pick for the next year? Yep, and a third round. For, and a third round. Uh, the first, so, yep. So you have your first round. That's normally when you're looking to see who's still left on the board, depending on your needs. The third round, that's pretty much your gym because the gyms are always found in the third round. It depends on how you utilize those picks. So it's always going to look good because you got two first-round picks, but if you don't get a quality pick, what good does it do you? But Seattle is trying to win, so I'm going to choose winning over my future at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> man, this was a hoodie and duct tape, man. I, I, I don't even understand. They robbed these boys, man. Like, <laughs> like – with the Jets just got over on Seattle so bad, it's not even funny, man. Like, it's not even funny. They don't have – and I think the reason why – the reason why I think it is, is because of Earl Thomas. They realize the value of the safety, and they want to go back to the old days, bringing a, a, a legit safety, thinking that that can mimic the old days Legion of Boom. It's not going to happen. Um, but to get those picks, so like like Alan, I understand what Alan was saying, but now they got two first round picks every year. <laughs> it's not like they got one first round pick. They got they got they got two first ones. They messed one up. They got the other one. You know what I'm saying? So I just think all across the board. First of all, he was disgruntled, so that doesn't work for the organization. You know what I'm saying? So that's a plus to get a disgruntled person out of the out of the mix. But besides that, now. I had I got the world for him, and it makes it look even worse because when you think about players like uh, the wide receiver from the Texans, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you know what I'm saying? When you think about the deal that happened with him, and you think about this deal, these guys struck gold, man. Like they they got like a number three for Hopkins or something like that, and for for the Jets to be able to pull off two first round picks and a third, I mean, come on, like he's not. It's not like he was getting a uh, you was getting um what's the best player in the NFL? He's not the best player in the NFL. He's not going he's not like you you, you drafted Russell Wilson or Mahomes. Like this is this is something I give up for Mahomes. If I if I had a chance to get Mahomes, I I I'll give him up for two first rounds, a third round, a fourth round, a fifth. 
but not for Earl Thomas' safety. Are you kidding? What if he get hurt? You know, and you still got to pay that man. So it's like, to me, it's a no-brainer, and I think it's a panic move for Seattle because they're trying to do – they're mimicking what the L.A. Rams did when they brought in uh, Ramsey and, uh, and, they, and they gave up all that uh, draft capital for it. So I think on, on so many levels, it's the Jets that won this thing. So I just think that, one, sometimes we place a premium value on draft picks. They, they can be valuable commodities, but not necessarily. And let's just be honest. The New York Jets are, have been an irrelevant organization uh, for, for many, many years. Um, I, I like their new uh, GM, but he, you know, if you look at how he <laughs> put together the Eagles roster, he put together a bunch of old, slow men. And so, you know, he, he, he evaluates talent. I mean, um, who did he draft uh, a few years ago? Uh, for the Eagles, wide receiver, super slow guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. We needed him this past year, and he was nowhere to be found. And so it's not always about the draft pick. It's about who you have drafting. Guys know how to find – the Patriots know how to find gems all over. Now, I'm not saying the Seattle Seahawks are the Patriots, but here's the thing. You have a window with uh, Russell, Russell Wilson. The most important position on a football team is the quarterback. And the Seattle Seahawks have the second best quarterback in the NFL behind Patrick Mahomes. They have what they need, and they need to get over the hump. I think it is a win for the Seattle Seahawks to get uh, Jamal Adams. I think that they are getting and positioning themselves to dethrone the 49ers, who I do not think will be able to handle the, the Seattle Seahawks this coming year because they have a quarterback that cannot compare to Russell Wilson. And now you're, the biggest thing to see or giving up was pass defense. So they, they secured that, they filled that role. And so I'm excited to see uh, what the Seattle Seahawks are going to do. They are a dangerous team. Uh, speaking about dangerous teams, the Kansas City Chiefs had a great offseason. They – Locked up Patrick Mahomes for 10 years. They retained Chris Jones, their defensive tackle. And now they're talking about, Tyreek Hill specifically is talking about winning seven championships chasing Jordan. Is it possible for the, the Kansas City Chiefs to set up a dynasty and win seven championships? in the next 10 years, 10, 10, 10, let's say 10, 15 years. Kelvin, what do you say? I say uh, they need to test, they need to test uh, Tyreek Hill. He was on something that day. <laughs> they, need to, they need to think about testing that brother. Um, we talk about something that never been done, like Tom Brady, would he go to like, I don't know, was it nine or something? I don't know, seven, I don't know. But that's within 20 something years, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So 10 years, seven times, to not just go, but to win, I think it's a joke. So, so like, you know, to compare yourself to Mike Jordan, it's a lot easier when you're talking about five players and you're playing both sides of the ball. Basketball is a lot different from football. Football is so many different things that come into factor for you winning uh, a Super Bowl. So for a wide receiver that can't throw himself the ball about seven Super Bowls, it's just laughable. And I think it was just a joke from him. 
I, I don't think he could be serious, but I, I expect something like that. He's young. But all it is is material. <laughs> so if you think he had a target on his back last year, it's going to be even crazier than possible. But, you know, it's good to, good, something good to talk about. Phil, what do you say? I said get off the weed. <laughs> There's <is> no <laughs> way, no how, that you could win seven Super Bowls. Listen, my New York Giants won two Super Bowls in two different decades. Even then, that was a miracle. But Eli Manning proved to be a champion and led us through. How are you going to be? You basically say you're going to take Dethon, um Tampa Bay. You're going to dethrone Belichick. You're going to dethrone Seattle. You're going to dethrone the Rams. You're going to dethrone the Ravens. You're going to dethrone all these guys for seven years at bay? <laughs> Good luck. It's not going to happen. All right? And please... Drug test him. <laughs> Drug test that boy. <laughs> Daryl? I'm following the trend. It's, it's, it's insane of him to think that. I mean, I, I, I can appreciate the confidence. I, re I really can. But, you know, for him to say that, that, that means he thinks that, you know, the, the tandem of Mahomes and Andy Reid is – better than uh, Belichick and Brady. And Belichick and Brady have won, they won, what, six in how many years? 13, maybe? Yeah, yeah something like that. No, no. Something 20, like that. 20 what, years. What, what, 20 Brady years. Came, Brady came in what year? Oh, one, oh, he got drafted in 99, I believe, and he was um, and then 01. Yeah, so it, well, to, to that point, like, that's that's considered a dynasty, and now you're talking about seven seven uh, seven championships in ten years. Granted, you have one now, you know, and now it's, you have six to go. That's it's just simply not happening. It, this isn't the 1960s where teams, you know, just win NFL championships year in and year out. Uh, you see how hard it was for the Patriots to win. You know, they, um, even even with their their titles, the most they may have gotten was or no no I don't even think they they've gotten a back to back. You know, I, they don't have a back to back. The the last team the to have one is, is oh see <laughs> they you know I so I'm I'm even if uh, they do have a back to back so they have a but they only have they have a three feet. Oh, okay. No, no, back to back, back to back, not three feet, back to back. Okay, okay. Well, they have they have one, and then from from them, like the the last team to do it was was it the Cowboys in ninety five? Ninety uh, 95, 94, 95? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was definitely oh, Cowboys. Yeah. All I'm saying is that that's just to get two. So you're you're banking on everybody to just be healthy, the O line to protect for the next. 10 years, like, it's just not going to happen. I, I love the confidence, but it's not happening. Alan? Do I see them winning seven? No. I can see them winning anywhere, maybe three to four, maybe. Three to four within, because remember, the extension takes place once 
this current contract is over, which I think he still has a few years left over. So you're talking about probably within the next 12 years. I could see it being three to four because think about it, man. Football is a very violent sport. So you have to take into account injuries, then egos when it comes to contracts. Like, it's early now. Everyone's rooting for each other now. But further down the line, like, hey, I'm trying to get paid too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be franchise tag like everybody else. I still want to play play with everybody else. So... I mean, I just don't see it happening because it's like some of these players who are on this team will not be on the team probably within the next two, three years. You might end up trading. You don't know what direction that the organization may want to take at that time. No, they're not going to want to rebuild, but if they see that you may have some value and we can use this for the future to still win more championships, more than likely they're going to do it. Think about this with Belichick. Belichick is known to do this, and – it hurts my soul, and I hate the Patriots, like, because I'm a Steelers fan. So there have been on a few occasions, the day of the Super Bowl or the week of the Super Bowl, someone always gets cut from the Patriots every time. You may be that one. <laughs> that one. Like, it doesn't really matter who you are. Like, if you have value – they're going to be like, all right, we might be able to use this for the future. And I just don't see it happening because in the NFL, not everyone lasts long in the NFL. The average year is like, what, like eight years in the NFL? Like three. between four to eight, three years. So think about it. How many people are going to play at a high level for that long? And on top of that, you're playing so many games. Your body starts hurting. Now you got to take meds and all this other stuff to feel better the next day. So I just don't see it happening. Maybe three to four at the most, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting naming names, right? <laughs> I don't see Patrick Mahomes not facing a season-ending injury in the next over the next four or five seasons. He, he, he's going to get hit. Number, number, number two, Andy Reid is a known choke artist. Yes, he won the Super Bowl, but you cannot – erase a history of choking and so there's going to be a time when they should win and he's going to blow it um and then and then three Tyreek Hill has to stay out of jail like he has to stop doing stuff that's going to get him in trouble like at the end of the day like he has to acknowledge the fact that I'm sure look, look guys let's be honest he probably was being facetious but this is not going to sit well in people's tongues. They will not. I'm going to say this right now. They will not win a Super Bowl this season. There is going to be a target on their back. When, when LeBron came to Miami and said, not one, not two, not three, not four. No, no, no. You don't do that. And so people are going to be going for Tyreek Hill specifically. And they're going to be trying to do whatever they can to dethrone them. So, you know, I, I don't see seven championships. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, hands down, but I don't, I don't, I don't see it. And, number, and last of all, Tyreek Hill has to be able to beat Terrell Owens in a foot race. Let's start winning those battles. <laughs> this man, this man, T.O.'s a freak. He's like a 20-year-old. <laughs> and Tyreek Hill was looking like du getting dusted. 
So he, he had a ten seven. He had a ten ten, uh, ten yard head start, man. It's ten yards, man. That's a long. That's a lot of space. To be fair, he didn't gain on him either. It wasn't like it was like he was moving. There was more yards. It was a beat. They pretty much stayed stride for stride. It's not good that a forty six year old. If a forty six year old is able to keep stride with me, you know what? I might as well hang up the cleats. I might as well put down the basketball and say, "Hey, man, it was a good run." Yeah, that 46-year-old was running like a 4-4, four, 4-5, four, four, dude. It's, it's, free. it's Terrell Owens, dude. It's Terrell Owens. It's not like we're talking about the 46-year-olds in, in the church. <laughs> what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, he's 46. I got you. I know what you mean, bro. I'll just, I'll just play. I'll just mess it up. <laughs> um, so many of you saw this week, Terry Kill raced Terrell Owens. And we saw that, yes, Terrell Owens was given a head start, but Terrell Owens won, and he demonstrated he still has elite speed. Now, T.O. is interesting, right? Because T.O. is not a superstar who had to leave because his skills had diminished to such a point where he was no longer valuable. T.O. left because people felt like his production wasn't worth the headache anymore. I mean, we all have T.O. stories, right? Uh, if you're an Eagles fan, you remember how he was with Donovan McNabb. But also, I think you remember, I remember him spitting on a DB for the Falcons after he scored a touchdown on, on him. He had antics. And so, but throwing all of that aside, all-time athlete, any sport, where do you rank T.O. as an athlete? Not, a, not performance, just as an athlete. Alan, we're kick it off with you. Ooh, as an athlete. I mean, honestly, you got to put him in, like, the top ten, but, like, outside of, like, maybe, like, five or six. Because, I mean, if you 46 and, like, when they was doing the 40, they said Tyreek ran a 4.37. I said, shoot. Owens was right behind him. He probably ran like a 4-4. Four, four. So if you really just look at how he just keeps his body in shape, like even after being out of the league all these years, man, you got to put him like in top 10. Like the dude is not normal at all. Like he's from Mars. Yeah. As an Eagles fan, I'll never forget how when he – I got the horse collar against Dallas. And, you know, as a, as, a, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, as a Philadelphia sports fan, it was just one of those things where I just said, God hates us. He does it to us all the time. We're always almost there. And then he just destroys all of our hopes and dreams. Uh, but the fact that he came back for that Super Bowl and then just come back, he played, if they won that game, Terrell Owens should have been the MVP. He dominated on a bad ankle. Uh, I, I put him number two behind LeBron James as terms of all-time athlete. Now, we're not talking about talent. Jordan is the is the greatest, is the goat of all sports for me. But in terms of an athletic ability, just a freak of nature specimen, I put Terrell Owens behind LeBron James, number two. Kevin, what say you? Man, I didn't know that was the spin we were going. That's a good one right there. Oh, he is definitely – oh, man. 
That's a good one, Ev. Uh, I, I was thought you talk. I thought we was going probably more like uh, long term, being able to play the game at a high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but far as like a the freak, oh man, he's definitely he's definitely top five. Only people I can think of that come to mind is like um, who else? I would think of for some reason I was thinking about George Foreman because how long he he lasted playing. Tom because how long he lasted playing, but just for for athletic ability, he's definitely he's definitely top three for me. I will go with top three. Phil, well I well I have to say he is freakish, but I do think he is a top five. I think of Vince Carter. How how many forty two year olds or forty three year old could still run up and down the NBA court? He retired and still dunk. <laughs> we remember when Kobe dunked, we were all surprised he's still dunking, and Vince does it with ease. Um, just that ability, that raw, imagine he still got a chance. I know he had a, he played with um, Cincinnati, but I don't think he got a fair chance. And yes, he did play in that Super Bowl with one leg. That is remarkable. I think too, too many times nobody gave him a fair shake because they looked at not his talent or his ability, but they had personal problems against um, T.O., but he is a, one of the all-time athletes, you know, top five at least, top fly, five. Daryl? I, I am, for one, shocked. I didn't hear a name. You know, I was waiting for it, but, you know, number one, the, the number one athlete of all time is, is Bo Jackson. Okay? Like, I, I think that's like it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah. Um, but you know, To is in that conversation to where you know, as an athlete, because you know, I'm I'm thinking about athlete. You know, as someone multiple sports, um, just freak of nature, like can do it all. To's there. You know, football. You know, you see the longevity. He ran a four, 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 five. Basketball. He could hoop. And he got them hands. You know, <laughs> I'm not gonna say who he put them paws on, but you know, he got the hands. So you know, T.L. is a straight athlete. I, I'll put him top ten. Um, you know, but yeah, I'm trying. I was thinking through like two sport athletes, but of course, like like for me, Bo Jackson, like what he did on football field. He's got the the running up the wall after the catch on the diamond. You know, you you got Dion. Um, and you know, I, I think I think that's 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 you know he's in that conversation though. top top five for sure for me. And I think the person you're talking about is Hugh Douglas when they're in the Eagles locker room. I couldn't say it. Hugh's my guy. Yeah. So I work I work with Hugh. I you know <laughs> I didn't want to put that out there, but oh yeah, yes. Philadelphia knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a. And I mean, the, the the story that I've always heard was it was it was with ease, like it, he welcomed it. Yeah. He was not a small fella. I mean, T.O.'s not either, but yeah. he was massive. Yeah, yeah. Well, in comparison, T.O. is a wide receiver. Hugh Douglas was a defensive end. So, yeah. Um. Now, speaking of athletes who just can't give it up, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones are supposed to be having an exhibition match against each other. 
who do you think will win their boxing match? Who do you think is going to win the match between Roy Jones and Mike, and Mike Tyson? Terrell, kick us off. Um, wow. I, you know, I've seen the clips of Iron Mike working out. I haven't seen any Roy Jones recently. And I, 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 for the life of me, I don't, I don't like these two legends putting their lives on the line for this fight. Um, but uh, I definitely think Iron Mike got it. I'm not, I'm going to put my faith in him. Okay. Phil? Yeah, all who watch this are wrong. Yeah, guilty on like Instagram, Facebooks, watching these old people fighting is wrong. And they shouldn't be doing things like that. These two, these two are past their prime. They need to retire, enjoy their money. They have no need to do these things. But if you're going to twist my arm, I'm going to say Mike Tyson because he, was, he wasn't too technical, but he was brute force. And everybody talks a lot until they get hit. But I will not be watching this fight. Save old people lives. Let them enjoy their retirement. Kelvin. Yeah. Um, so who would win, right? Am I right? Who, who's yeah, going to yeah. win this fight? Okay, so who's going to win this fight? I'm going to go with my guy, Roy Jones. Because I think this is going to be an exhibition where, you know, they're trying to get multiple rounds in. And I think the better boxer is, is Roy. And I saw a little clips from Roy. He still looked a little sharp. And I think if this was old Mike Tyson, then it wouldn't even be a conversation because he's just an animal. He's going in there just throwing the uppercuts, uh, haymakers. You know what I'm saying? He's just going to go for blood. But I think if we're talking about a boxing contest and a boxing match and an exhibition, you know, I think Roy's going, Roy's going to get at him. But I, I, I'm, with, I'm with everybody. I think this is all about the money at the end of the day. Find a way to capitalize and get some, get some money in your pocket. Because, you know, honestly, they're just going off their names right now. Nobody going to watch these guys fight, man. Like, nobody could care. It would be better if they was fighting in the street. I think they might get more streams, man. But um, I'm, I'm going to go with Roy. Okay. Alan? I'm watching the fight. Because uh, <laughs> uh, every time I see these Mike Tyson clips, uh, every time he hits that pad, I think about how much my rib would be broken. Um, <laughs> but I definitely think that, uh, Mike would definitely pull that off. He looks like he's in like real good shape, especially for his age. Um, and from my understanding, from what he stated, I believe on Thursday or Friday, they'll be wearing headgear. So you're required to wear headgear in the state of California. So they understand what they're, what they're doing. I'm clear they know that. Um, also, I just feel like, I mean, there's more fans of them, of those boxers compared to those now. Because it's the same like how it used to be back in the days. Now, I'm not any type of like boxing expert or anything like that. But what I do know is I like good boxing. So I think especially just based off of their names, more people would be willing to watch it, especially like if you see like how these guys prepare. I'm actually interested in seeing Nate Robinson's little uh, undercard as well. 
You mean 12 and under uh, fighters? Hey, man, um, look, he from Seattle, so I would knock it. <laughs> uh, I'm going with Iron Mike, and, and I'm just doing it based on weight classes. You know, unless Roy Jones put on weight, Mike just needs to get a couple hits in, a couple haymakers, and I think Roy's going down. Roy better, better not do any of that gloves down action taunting because he will be on the on the on the ground. Um, and I think Mike Tyson, you know, he has a little screw loose, and so you know, when he when he gets going, it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. I'll be watching um, strictly for my entertainment. This yoga mic, man. Y'all acting like this is Iron Mike. This ain't Iron Mike. This yoga mic. <laughs> Mike, Mike out here, he, he don't even talk the same. He ain't got the same list no more, man. I, I don't know about this new vegetarian mic. <laughs> I don't know. The punches don't look different, though. Man, I'll yeah, they did. When I watched him train when he was young, believe me, it looked a lot different. A lot different. When I watched all the clips from Mike, from Mike back in the day with the part in his hair, Man, that dude was a killer, a licensed killer. Yeah. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in for uh, another episode of Ladies Some Dudes Podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, please, uh, if you can, take your time to uh, like our, our podcast, take some time to subscribe, share with a friend. Uh, if you have any questions you'd be interested in us talking about any topics, please just submit it on our Facebook page or send a message to us on IG at a lady and put we put and put the and logo and some dudes podcast. Once again, I am your interim host, Evan. Your podcast, we out.